Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5, and I want to just take a moment and welcome all of you that are worshiping with us online today. I got to tell you, uh, this morning when I walked in the room, there is an intensity in this room this morning. I love the intensity of pursuing after God, and I I hate to share that with the online audience because they're not in the room, but it is on fire this morning. I like that. Come on. I love that. In the middle of the summer, you never see that in church in the middle of the summer. So God's up to something. Would you all agree with that? So we're in a, we're in a series that uh, we introduced last weekend, and uh, Johnson has uh, led us, both Colleen and I, to take this series for the whole month. And next week, you're going to hear Colleen, and then, and then I'll come back the next weekend. And so we're in this series, and it kind of came from a word that I got from the Lord back in the, back in the wintertime in a dream where I was just really praying over our church, over the future of our nation, just going to sleep like that. And then in the middle of the night, I was asking the Lord, I was having a conversation in my dream, how, do we, how, do, how does the church turn this thing around? Because I know it's not going to be turned around by politics. Would you all agree with that? It doesn't matter who's in the office of, of the presidency. That's not going to turn this nation back to God. What's going to turn the nation back to God has to be in the church, the, the army of the church. And so I believe God is preparing his church or wants to prepare his church. It, it's all up to the church to cooperate with him on how to do that. And I asked the Lord, and he gave me three words, and these are the three words. Do you all know what the three words are? If those, if those of you who were with us before, let's say them together. Be like Jesus. All right. So we had these wristbands, and, and, and we had thousands of them last week, and we ran out before the last service, uh, which is a good thing. I'm glad we ran out, but that's because some of you took two and three of them at a time for your friends. So we, we have another order. For those of you that were not with us last weekend, the reason we're wearing the wristbands, and you don't have to wear them, but they're an accountability thing. They're, they're not so much as a witnessing tool as they are to hold us accountable to be like Jesus. And the idea behind it is when you have this on, it reminds you through your day, through your life, when you're interacting with people, when you're interacting in your home, and your family, in front of your children, to remember to be like Jesus. And last week we said that the number one thing or the hardest thing, most challenging thing is this concept of holiness, the holiness of Jesus. And we just kind of laid it out there what holiness looks like and and how we need to get our life in line with God, not try to make God get his life in line with us. Would y'all agree with that? And we talked about how this, this generation that's coming up in this, in this new day has started to drift away from God and move more towards uh, an agnostic or atheistic view or humanistic view of God to where now if there is no God or there is no guideline called the word of God, then the only way I set my moral boundaries is how I think and how I feel. And that's what we're living with today. That's why you're having all this, this, these gender issues. You're having all these issues that are out there, try, people confused about who they are, what their identity is, because it's all based on how you think and how you feel, not on what God's Word says. But in this church, just for those of you that are new, and maybe you live by how you think and how you feel, we believe that we don't set our moral boundaries by our thinking or our feelings. We set them by the Word of God. What does God's Word say? Because I just, I don't know about you, but I just think God knows better than us. Do, you, do y'all believe that? God knows better than us. <laughs> and, and I've found many, many times when, when, when I try to do things outside of those boundaries, they always cause problems for my life. 
And so we want to kind of get back in line. So holiness is the first step. And then the second step came to me uh, when, I was, when I was about, probably about two years ago, I was invited by one of my dearest friends, Dr. John Maxwell, who was receiving an award in Washington, D.C. called the Horatio Algiers Award. And if you're in the business world, you might know that award. It's one of the most prestigious awards that any human being can receive in the earth. Presidents have received it, President Ronald Reagan, Dwight Eisenhower, uh, Supreme Court justices have received it, famous actors, uh, Oprah Winfrey, all these people have been inducted, and John was being inducted. He called Colleen and I and said, I'm inviting my 25 best friends to come and celebrate with me. Would you come and join me? And so we did. We were in D.C. It was uh, in April, uh, almost two and a half years ago. And when we come in and we're listening to, the, it's, it, basically it's an award for about 10 people each year that have come through really difficult circumstances, risen from, from dire circumstances into a place of prominence in the society that they live in. Some of them are business people. Some of them are entertainment people, just different people like that. And we're listening to the speeches. We're actually in the Supreme Court, and it's the only time that people are actually allowed to sit in the Supreme Court without a court case. And we were sitting in the Supreme Court, met uh, the Justice uh, Clarence Thomas, and, and then we, we, afterwards we, we went into this room and listened to the different speeches. And the person who stood out the most to me was this guy named Daniel Kabitsky. And Daniel Kubitsky is the founder of the Kind Bar. How many of you have ever seen the Kind Bar? You know, the Kind Bar. This is the, the Kind Bar. It's, it's a healthy, for those of you who haven't ever tasted one of these, it's a healthy <laughs> candy bar. It's got nuts and good things in it, right? And so we're listening to his testimony, and he is a, his father was a Holocaust survivor. He's Jewish. He grew up in Mexico City immigrated to America and started this business. Uh, and, it, and, and it's interesting how he labeled it. For business people, you'll appreciate this. He said it's, it's a not only for profit business. Not only for profit. It is for profit, but it's not only for profit. And the big idea behind it was to create a company that would influence uh, social issues in a good way. In, in, in a good way. And he said, what he said was, he said, I just felt like as, we, as, we've, as I've grown up in this country, this country has become more and more unkind. And that we are a polarizing people now. We're very polarized by, by the news media, by social media. There, there's, it's such a polarized environment. It's, it's, it feels almost like the front edge of a civil war in terms of ideas and how people think. And if you don't think like I think, you're the devil, you're the enemy, you're evil. I can't tell you how many people have left churches over political issues and, and division, divided issues, racial issues. We have all kinds of issues in our country. And he said, I just wanted to create a company that infused the concept of kindness into society. Now, he went on to do a lot of other things. This is just one of the many things that he did. He's worth like $2.2 billion just off that business. And as he's talking, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, when I think about Jesus, when I think about who Jesus is, I think one of the most overlooked parts of Jesus or characteristics of Jesus is this concept of kindness. This concept of kindness. And so I started studying this out, and I realized, I don't know about you, but when I think about kindness, I fall very short. And I, I'm pretty good with if everything's good. 
You know, if everybody's nice around me, I'm kind. Come on, somebody. But now when somebody puts, pre- how many of you know, when somebody puts pressure on you, you're driving down the road, somebody cuts you off, gives you the middle finger, whatever they do, you know, all of a sudden that kindness just kind of goes right out the window. And, 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 and in your home, you start talking to each other and everybody's really happy and then all of a sudden you disagree and then you go into this place where you're no longer kind to each other. And I started studying the life of Jesus and I realized that this is a, this is a part of the the aroma of Christ. This is a part of the flavor of Christ. So here's the scripture. Jesus is telling us uh, in Matthew chapter 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He had just get finished giving the Beatitudes, and one of the Beatitudes has to do with kindness. And then he says this. He says, let me tell you why you're here. Let me tell you, uh, those of you that are following me, let me tell you why you're here on this earth. You're here to be light bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? He says, I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you here on the hilltop on a light stand, shine. Everybody say shine. In other words, there should be something about the aura of a Christian's life that when they walk into a room, they shine. You should shine in your job. You should shine in your family. You should shine in your community. There ought to be something about you that stands out above other normal people. He created you to live this life so that you put off this, this, this visual of light. He says, now that I've put you here on a hilltop on a light stale, stand shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. All right, so I want you to take a moment now. Just take a moment for just a moment. Let's pause for a moment and ask yourself this question. If, if all the people in my life are dependent on seeing the model of Jesus in me, how would I rate myself in representing him? If all the people are waiting on me, they're, they're looking at me, I, I'm a Christian, I've announced to the world, by the way, I hope you've announced to the world, you're a Christian. He says, if you deny Christ in front of the world, he'll deny you before the Father. We should be announcing that we are believers, followers of Jesus. I am, I don't know about you, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Are you ashamed of him? I, I you know, People in the world are not ashamed of their sin, and they announce it wildly all the time. Why are we ashamed of Christ in our life to announce who Christ is in our life? I'm not ashamed of Jesus. But the reality is when we announce Jesus, then all of a sudden eyes look on us. They will examine us with close look like what? Okay, you're, you're like Jesus. You're going to be the, this is the Jesus that you're representing And they look at us, and usually we're the only Jesus people ever see, so they make decisions about Jesus a lot of times based on us, based on our behavior. This is why a lot of people say, I love Jesus, I just don't like the people that represent him. All right, so does my life really emit the flavor, the aura, the, the aroma of God that we talked about last week in the earth? That's the big question. And when people interact with me, do they feel, smell, or see Jesus in my life? All right, so this word kindness 
is one of the, I believe, one of the key elements that reflect Jesus. Now, let me give you the definition of kindness. The kindness that we're talking about is the act of what I call being selfless, compassionate, and merciful to others. Selfless, compassionate, and merciful to others. Kindness in a, in a, in a nutshell is this, valuing others more than yourself. Now, it doesn't mean you don't value yourself because you know God has made you extremely valuable. And I realize many people don't value themselves. And so when they hear that, they go, er, value others? Yes. The key is valuing others. And here's the scripture. This is one of my life scriptures. This is Philippians chapter 2. And, and I'm going to read 1 through 4. It says, therefore, Paul says, if you have any encouragement being united but with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he's talking to the believers, then take my, make my joy complete by being like-minded. Everybody say like-minded. Like-minded. Like-minded with each other and like-minded with Christ. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what the church would be like if we were like that? One spirit, one mind, one love, valuing people the way Christ values. Could you imagine what the church would look like if we actually do that? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That should correct a lot of things on social media for you right there. <laughs> nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, look at this. This is the word of God. Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. All right, so that's our challenge right now. Our challenge right now is we are living in a polarized world on the verge of, of you know, social civil war. It seems like we're more divided. Would you all agree we're probably more divided in our lifetime than we've ever seen? In our lifetime. Now, I'm sure there's been times and seasons of certainly we had a civil war, so we were a very divided nation at one time. But the reality is I've never in my lifetime, I'm 64 years old, I've never seen a nation more divided than the United States of America. And the Bible's very clear. It says a nation divided against itself cannot stand. It cannot stand. So in other words, we're watching the slow erosion of the future of our nation because of the division in our nation and the reality of it is, is the reason we're having such division is because we're not trying to be like Jesus. We're not even pursuing him. We're not pursuing his holiness. And many times we're not pursuing his kindness. And the challenge is when we get into a world like this is how do I balance the fine art of standing my ground against evil, but at the same time functioning in the fruit of kindness? That's the, that's the key. I, I, I'm not going to give in to the peer pressures of the world and say, I agree with all the debauchery of the world, but at the same time, how do I reflect that through the fruit of kindness? In other words, if I'm a Republican, can I still represent Jesus with kindness to a Democrat or vice versa, right? If I'm a black person or a white person or Hispanic person or an immigrant, can I still reflect Jesus to the other race even though we might not agree on everything? Can I still love my neighbor? Can I still be that way? What about somebody who has a different lifestyle than me, a sinful lifestyle? Can I still reflect Jesus in kindness towards them without constantly walking in this kind of better than, holier than thou attitude? 
Not, not giving into the sin, not being a part of the sin, living, though, with them and learning how to reflect the kindness of Jesus. These are the questions. All right, so here's the scripture. Here's the foundation scripture for this message. It's in Romans chapter 2. And let me set Romans chapter 2 up for you. Romans 2 follows Romans chapter 1. This is ABC. 1, 2, 3. Romans chapter 1 is perhaps one of the top three most controversial scriptures in the New Testament, maybe in the entire Bible. Because Romans chapter 1, Paul really addresses sin in people's lives. He, he points out, and he, he addresses homosexuality, he addresses lewdness, he addresses, he addresses all those things, like right straight at it. But then after he addresses sin, he launches into this thing to the church. He, he reminds the church, okay, I've addressed sin, but let me balance that with this next statement I'm going to make in Romans chapter 12. I mean, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 2. And here's what he says. You, he's talking about the church, Christians, followers of Christ, therefore have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else. Whoa. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourselves. Because you who pass judgments do the same thing. <laughs> it's the old adage, he who has without sin cast the first stone. Now we all, we, all know, we all know that's what the word says, but we don't all function like that. As soon as we see something that we're not doing, we begin to develop a holier-than-thou attitude towards the one who is doing it. But we forget that we are doing something else that's probably not very good either, like judging people all the time and condemning people all the time and speaking down to people all the time and not realizing that's just as bad, right? So this is kind of what he's saying. He said, if you, if you do this, he said, this is not good because you're doing the same thing. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. God will be the judge. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? So what he's saying is, he's, as you approach life, he's saying, look, you're just as much a sinner as anybody else. We've all, how many of you have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Everybody online, raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. There is none without sin among us, right? And I don't know about you, I feel like, Paul, I was a chief sinner. How many of you have been chief sinners? I, I was a chief sinner before Jesus. I was a professional sinner. I was teaching others how to sin. I, I, just like Paul. And then I got saved. Now, when I got saved, my sinful lifestyle didn't change overnight. My spirit got born again, but my, I still have a mind and I still have my flesh that I had to deal with. And that's why it says you work out your salvation daily, look at it, with fear and trembling before the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord that sets the tone for holiness and righteousness with God. But you don't get your life right with God and automatically then start looking at all the problems in the world and how everybody's doing wrong and start making your life about that. You start making your life about how to correct your stuff and at the same time, being kind towards those who were in the same state you were before Christ. <laughs> All right, so here's what he says. He says, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? 
forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Not his judgment, his kindness. His kindness is designed. In other words, the core issue with every human being is coming to the place where they know they're sinners and they need to repent. They need forgiveness for their sins. Most sinners don't know or believe they're sinners. Or if they do, they don't think it's that bad. Or if they do, they think, well, God's overlooking it. And I don't have to bear any fruit of it. They don't realize the scripture that says, God is not mocked whatsoever man sows, he shall also reap. If you sow to your flesh, you're going to receive corruption. You're going to reap corruption in your body. So he's, he's trying to get us to see that the way you get people to come to a place of brokenness and acceptance that their sin needs to be forgiven is through this thing called kindness. This is what Jesus did. Jesus walked the earth. He's God in the flesh. He is the holy of holies in human form without sin, trying to help people navigate out of sin, trying to show them the way, preaching sermons like the Sermon on the Mount, doing miracles to help heal people, restore people, speaking truth in love to people to help them come out of the darkness, helping the light to turn on to show them the way, but at the same time demonstrating this amazing kindness that caused people to get, that got around him to repent, that caused them to come to a place where they needed to repent, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be a light. We're trying to be the flavor, the salt of the earth, so that when people get around us, listen to me, listen to me carefully, they feel conviction. They feel conviction, not condemnation. They feel conviction being around us, that we're living what we preach. We're living a single life, not a dual life. You're a whole person. You're one with yourself and with God. You're not two people, one time you're, one day you're serving God, the next day you're not serving God. You don't have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. You have come all the way in, and that's what God's calling the church to do, to come all the way in. Amen. All right. He says, don't you understand, this is what does. Now, here's what I believe. I believe Jesus lived with intentional kindness. It's intentional. And I believe that as he lived with this intentional kindness, kindness became his superpower. Kindness is God's superpower. You want to heal a marriage? Start being kind to one another. You'll find that when you're kind to one another, you'll make it, you'll work it out. What causes a marriage to go apart? People stop being kind. They start judging the other person, not thinking that they're doing anything wrong. And they stop being kind. And they don't know how to stay kind when things get tense. Now, I don't know about you. I'm right there with you. When things get tense, trying to stay kind is hard. So there's, there comes this point where you've got to learn how to learn kindness, grow in it, make it a habit of your life. When you operate in kindness, you give God an opportunity to do things supernaturally in others that you cannot do yourself. Can I just say that one more time? Because I think y'all like that. When you operate in kindness, you give God an opportunity to do things supernaturally in others 
that you cannot do yourself. This is how God uses you to impact the world around you. All right, so let's talk about characteristics of kindness. I'm going to give you three. They're not all-encompassing. There's a thousand characteristics of kindness. I'm going to give you my top three. And these are three areas that that are sometimes overlooked but very important in terms of representing who Jesus is. Number one, the first way Jesus demonstrated kindness is through serving others. Serving others. Now, I'm going to read a scripture, and it tells the story of how Jesus set this up in Luke chapter 22 in verse 24, here it says, A dispute also arose among them, this is his disciples, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not like that. You're not like the world trying to make a name for yourself. Instead, the greatest among you shall be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. In other words, the greatest is not the one who's trying to lord it over people, but it's the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one, is it not the one who sits at the table, according to the world? But I'm among you as one who serves." Now, when I first read that years ago, I was trying to wrap my head around this. This is, this is hard to wrap your head around because this is God talking here. This is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all of humanity, the, 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 the God incarnate in the flesh, living among us, dwelling among us without sin. He's God, and he's saying to, to the people, look at me, look at me, watch me. I do not live like people on the earth that are always trying to get ahead and be important and noticed and posting on social media and look at me and look at my accomplishments and blah, blah, blah. He says, I come to you as one not who sits at the table where everybody's serving, but as one who serves. Now, Jesus is saying something. He's saying something to the church that I don't think the church always gets. That when you come to Jesus, listen to me, listen to me, all of you that are highly accomplished, that you've, you've made it something of yourself. You, you, you have thousands of followers on social media. You have achieved quite a wealth in your business, whatever you have. He says, when you come to Jesus, I, he says, Jesus, I'm the great equalizer. He says, everybody that comes to Jesus is equally valuable to me. You're not more valuable because of your accomplishments in the earth. You are the person who has accomplished nothing, maybe been in prison, maybe done some crimes, maybe done some really bad things. They're just as valuable as you. Just as valuable as you. That's why he's, he's a great equalizer. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your human accomplishments are. It doesn't matter what race you are, what level of economics you live in, what kind of education you have. I am the great equalizer. And the way you demonstrate that is by serving people, by serving people. So basically, he's telling us, the higher you go in life, the more you give up your rights. The more you give up your rights. See, we're all about rights. But the higher you go with Christ, the more you give up your rights. So for example, as as I've grown in leadership, I realize the higher I go as a leader, the less I have the right to do certain things. I don't have the right to lose my temper in public. I don't have the right to cuss in front of other people. Some of you are cussers. 
And only because you thought, you, you don't know that that's not a good thing, and you think you have the right because you have really achieved something. You think a cuss word is a part of the normal di- uh, uh, dialogue of humanity, but the reality of it is I don't have the right to do that. You hear me cuss, it might affect your relationship with Jesus. I don't have the right to go out to bars and get drunk. I don't have the right to be unfaithful to my wife. I don't have the right to do those things. I don't have the right to do it. I give up those rights. The higher you go, the less rights you have. It's like a triangle. At the, at the base, when you're just starting off, you don't know that. You, have all, you can mess up and nobody will ever notice. Nobody notices if you mess up because you, you haven't achieved anything. But the higher you go, the less rights you have. And this is why I don't want to go up high. I like living down here with the rights where nobody notices me. (laughs) So I'm coming to church. I'm I'm going back as a new Christian. I'm going to church, and Colleen and I are just new Christians. And we're starting to learn this. We come into church. We we achieved a few things in business, but we weren't that high achievers. But we're trying to learn how do you be like Christ and we're reading these scriptures about serving, and there's another version of this in, in, in the book of Mark, and here's what he says. Uh, he says, he came to Capernaum, and when he was at the house, he asked them, was it, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then, everybody say then. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. Now, here's what happened to me. This is what happened to Colleen and I. We were going to church, and we're going, and here's, here's, we started reading this thing about serving. We never served in a church. We'd never served in a church. And we, the first thing that it occurred to me was Jesus equates, he, 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 he gives these two things, these two kinds of people. He says there are some people who sit and some people who serve. Many people sit, very few people serve. There are literally thousands of people right now as I'm preaching sitting in church. You're one of them. You're sitting, but he doesn't commend you for sitting. Many people think, because I go to church, and I sit in the church, and I sing songs to God, that's my service to God. No, that's not your service to God. That's not your service to God. Because you sing songs, because you come and listen to a sermon to make your life better, but that makes you a servant to God? No, what makes you a servant to God is you serve in the church. Uh oh. That's why we started Victory. Said you can't be a member of this church and not serve. If you call yourself a member, you're a server. Now, some of you, this is what happens. This is what happened during COVID. Some of you stopped going to church for a while and you stopped serving. You drifted out of serving and you thought, well, because nobody's calling me, I guess I can just sit for a while. I need to sit and soak. Can I just tell you what the church looks like? It's a wrinkled prune sitting in a bathtub soaking without serving. Y'all all right out there? No, no, really. No, no, really. I, I'm, I'm not kidding. How many of you have actually started serving again? 
How many of you actually started serving in the church again? See, the church is the springboard to serving in life. It's the training ground. The church is not a place where you just go to be blessed. It's a place where we go to be trained to be like Jesus. So that when we go out into the world, we live like this out in the world. If you don't serve in a church, I guarantee you, you don't serve outside the church. You don't serve outside the church because you're not a server. And so we decided, you know what? I got two, two groups of people I can sit with. I can be grouped with the sitters or with the servers. I think I'm going to be grouped with the servers because that's where Jesus is. Jesus is not sitting. He's serving. You hardly ever see Jesus sitting in the Bible. He's always doing something. Amen. But somehow we've turned the church around and make it a sitting place instead of a serving place. So I said, okay, God, where do you want me to serve? He says, go ask the pastor. The church was only 50 people. It wasn't like there's a whole lot of people there. So I walked up to the pastor one Sunday and I said, pastor, we just, Colleen and I, we just come into the church. Where can we serve? Where would you like us to serve? And he goes, where would you like to serve? I said, no, it's not about where we would like to serve. Where do you need us? And here's what we said to him. Where can we serve that nobody wants to serve? Where can we serve that nobody wants to serve? And you know what his answer was? In the nursery on Sunday nights. He said, you really want to know? I said, yeah. He said, a nursery on Sunday nights. In this church, it was zero to five. That was their nursery in one room about the size of a closet. Now, Sunday nights, if you know anything about church back in the day, this is 30 years ago. If you know anything about the church 40 years ago, Sunday night was a regular service. Church had, church, all churches in America had Sunday night services, and they usually had their guest speakers on Sunday night, which preached long messages. <laughs> so nobody wanted to serve on sun, Sunday night. So, so everybody wanted to sit and learn and grow and be fed and be challenged, but, but, but they want to drop their children off because we have a drop-off mentality many times in church. We just drop them off, drop them off at school, drop them off at daycare, drop them off at church. You take care of them, you train them, you teach them. I'm busy doing my thing. And so I said, okay, well, I said, listen to me. I said to the pastor, listen, Colleen and I will serve in the nursery for at least one year. Every Sunday, you can count on us. We will be there. And he said, no, you don't have to serve every Sunday. He said, no, we will be there every Sunday. And so we'll be every, every Sunday night for, for this next year until the Lord tells us differently. And we'll, we'll cut our vacation short. We'll come home early because we want to make sure you understand you can count on somebody being in that nursery on Sunday night. Now, I'm a firm believer that the reason God promoted us in ministry over the years was that decision right there. And the reason we made that decision because he said one of the highest forms of serving is serving children. Can I tell you who the heroes of the church are? I'm not a hero. Colleen's not a hero of this church. You know who the heroes are? They're sitting back there ministering to your two-year-old, your three-year-old, your four-year-old, your five-year-old, your six-year-old. Yes. Yes. (laughs) all right you want to be like jesus you can't just sit no you can't and if you think you can just sit you think more highly of yourself than you ought and jesus said don't think of yourself more highly than you ought the way you break that pride off your life is by serving people and when you serve people it's saying i want to be kind to people I want to serve others. I want to represent Jesus to others as a servant. Because when you serve in the church, then you serve in society. You serve in your workplace. You serve in your family. You serve everywhere you go. You serve. Amen? 
So that's the first step of kindness. The second step of kindness is Jesus demonstrated kindness through loving people that were his enemies, that were his enemies. Now, here's the scripture. You, you've all heard this scripture. Uh, <clears throat> Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, verse 43, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. Come on, somebody. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do more, you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so. Therefore, it shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, I know y'all do that all the time. You love your enemies, bless people who curse you, do good to people who hate you, pray for those who use you and persecute you. It's not uncommon. Now, I'll just be honest. I'm going to tell you a little story. I'm going to tell on myself. It's not uncommon for me to drive aggressively. I have an aggressive personality, and it comes out in my driving. If you ever get behind me, you'll see. I'll never forget the Sunday I was coming to church, and right down Brook Hall, the police pulled me over for speeding right out here, and y'all were just coming by honking your horn, hey, Pastor Dennis. The office said, all these people honking their horns at you. I said, well, I'm the pastor of the church right up the street there. <laughs> he said, really? What you in such a hurry for? I said, well, I'm supposed to be preaching in about 10 minutes. He said, oh, okay. He says, well, I'm not going to give you a ticket. But he said, you make sure you put extra money in the offering today <laughs> for this mercy I'm giving you. But it's not uncommon. So I, a lot of times when I'm going down Brook Hollow to get on 85, the, the line starts to form to get down on Indian Trail. And I don't like lines. How many of you like lines? I do not like lines. So I will bypass the line. I'll ride down in the lane that's going to go left, <laughs> acting like I'm going to go left, knowing full well I ain't going left. Come on, how many, how many know what I'm talking about? All right. Nobody knows I'm a Christian. I'm just driving. All right. Because <laughs> I know somewhere in that line, let me just give you a head. Somewhere in that line, somebody's going to be texting, doing something, and I'm going to boom right on in there. Come on, somebody. So, <laughs> one day, I'm sitting in the line, I, I mean, going around the line, I get in, but I still got a few cars ahead of me, and I see this car scooting up the side, and I see he's coming in. He is, he is coming in, and I'm thinking to myself, I ain't letting him in. Ain't no way I'm letting him in. <laughs> and the traffic starts to move, and he pulls up beside me, and he goes, <laughs> ah, come on in. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's just like the Lord. When you do something wrong, he still lets you in. He still lets you in. <laughs> we have a, you know, during the season of pastoring this church, we've had many different issues with race and tension here. 
And I've had to preach many times about how important it is for us to love one another through all our racial tension. But we have certain people that are gifts to the church. They're just gifts. And when I say gifts, I mean they're like my favorite people. They're my favorite people in the church. You say, you have favorites? Yes, I do. <laughs> You've got favorites. You say, I don't have favorites. All my kids are the same. I, they're all, none of them are my favorite. That's not true. <laughs> Internally, you, you, uh, you, I, I want to be a value all, but there's probably one that stands out above the others. And, every, and all the other ones know that's the one. They all know. And maybe you are the one or maybe you aren't. But, but, but the bottom line is we do have favorites. And I have favorites in the church. And there is a, an African-American woman that's been in our church for 20-plus years who um, she's one of my favorites. And the reason she's one of my favorites is because she has an inordinate kindness and love towards white people. And I don't see that rare. That it's, not, it's a rare thing that I see it, to the point where she intentionally goes after white people for the Lord. And it's not common for me to be standing up in the lobby over the years and her to bring up some white family. Hey, Pastor, I brought this white family to the church. Or I saw them standing in the lobby. I just want you to meet them because she knows they're outnumbered in our church. And she knows they need to feel welcomed by black people in our church. They need to feel welcomed. No, I need a bigger round of applause than that. Come on now. But now... If you're new to our church and you don't know that and you're used to having bad history with white people, sometimes you'll just stay aside and you'll just let other people do that because it's not common for you to reach out to the other race because you've been wronged and maybe in your life by a white person. And what we tend to do, and this is what white people do it, black people do it, Hispanic people, all kinds of people do it. We tend to form opinions about other races, about a few bad ones that have done something bad to us, and we lump them all into one category, and we say, I'm going to avoid that group of people and just hang with my people. And when you start to do that, you narrow down the list of the people that you're going to influence for the kingdom of God down to your people. Did you hear what I just said? And there's something about the intentionality that I love about this person because she brings these people up and it's like, you can just feel if you're a white person, you're like, this person loves me. I have no excuse for why I shouldn't come to this church because this person is representing Jesus to me, even though historically we've had issues. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is what loving your enemy is. This is what doing good to people who've not done good to you. This is what intentional kindness does in racial issues, in social issues, in economic issues. The more you do this, the more you look like Jesus. Jesus was always crossing over the boundaries of social norm and reaching out to people like this. And then finally, the third one, and we'll kind of wrap it up with this. Jesus demonstrated kindness, and I, I like this one. He demonstrated kindness <clears throat> to people when they least expected it. Now, I, I love this scripture. As you start to read through the Bible, you begin to see, okay, Jesus, he, st he stops, talks to a Samaritan woman. First of all, Jews don't talk to, wi to women or Samaritans. They're arch enemies, but he's talking to her. He's interacting with her, and eventually she comes to Christ and leads her whole town to Christ. He talks to tax collectors, which were despised people back in that day and still despised today. <laughs> you ever got on the phone with an IRS person? We love IRS people. 
They need Jesus just as much as we do. Boy, do they need Jesus just as much as people. <laughs> he'd, get on, he'd, get, he'd talk to a leper. Everybody stayed away from a leper. He'd get involved with a leper. He, the thief on the cross. And here's what, here's what got me. In Matthew 9, it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, tax collector, who would eventually become one of his disciples. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teachers eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, here's the idea. Jesus, when he was on the earth, was always trying to show people who were normally rejected how valuable they were. And who were they normally rejected by? Religious people. Church folk. I can't believe Pastor Dennis is sitting down with that person at the they're, that person's drinking with that. He, he's, having a, he's having a drink in front of Pastor Dennis. We used to have a small group years ago where we would invite our neighbors, and our neighbors would come like anybody would come to a home party bringing refreshments. <laughs> and and, and our, our church folk were right there in the middle of them. They were like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You love people. When they partake of the refreshments, they become very open to the gospel. They very open to the gospel. This was Jesus. He was always looking for opportunities to sit down right in the middle of all the despised people from religion, the people that religious people despised, and break, the, break that thing off of them that they were not valued by, the, by God. This is what alienates many people from the church is because they've been around too many church people. Judgmental, looking down their nose, all these kind of things. And, and Jesus, he's, he's not partaking. He's not being a part of the sin. He's just in the middle of it. Can, let me ask you a question. Can you sit in the middle of sin and not sin? Can you sit in the middle of people who are sinners and not sin? And here's the thing. This is what I want you to get. Kindness is very intentional. You're always looking for opportunities to be kind. Now, kindness removes blindness to God. People who are blind, who can't see God, kindness removes it. It, it lowers the blinders off of people's eyes. And it's not uncommon for a person, when you extend kindness, for people to ask you, why? Are you this way? Why would you do this? Why would you love me? Why would you care for me? Why would you take time with me? Why would you be kind to me? Colleen and I, we, 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 years ago, we decided to just kind of, as God was blessing us economically, we decided, okay, God, you're blessing us so we can be a blessing. By the way, those of you that are blessed, you need to understand the reason you're blessed is not so you can build bigger and live greater. It's so you can be a blessing. So you can be a blessing, right? So it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for at Christmas time, we'll usually go in and, and, and get 
a thousand bucks out of the bank and hundred dollar bills. And we'll just when we ever go to a restaurant, we'd go and we wait till we found a single mom waitress, and we would talk to her, and then we would give her the extra tip and say, "God just wants you to know how special you are." It's just a common thing we do on a regular basis. So we've tried to do this, and so here's what we've learned is that if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he will tell you to do things on a regular basis for people that, don't, that you don't even know. And, and these are seeds. They're seeds of Christ to seed into them a future of receiving Christ. But you got to make sure that whatever you do, you, you do it with the knowledge that Jesus is behind it. And we'd never just give money without telling people that Jesus is behind this. So the other day, on Tuesday night, we were out at, at, in Lawrenceville at, at this restaurant on the rooftop. And we're eating, we're just having, you know, a burger or something, salad. I'm having a burger, she's having a salad, you know. And uh, <laughs> that's the way it goes. And we're eating. And uh, it, it, it took a while for the waiter to get to us, but he finally comes over. And, and there was a, a black family sitting kind of directly across from us, three, three people, and they were sitting there, and he went, waited on them first, took their order, and then he came and waited on us, took our order. Then he went back, and it took a while, but eventually the food came out for us, but not for them. It came out ahead of them, their food. And, and there was another group of black girls sitting over there, and they noticed that. They noticed, and they're pointing at us, and they're pointing at the black couple, and you can just tell what the dialogue, see, look at there, look at there, wife. White privilege. White privilege. That's what was going on. And I, I'm, you know, I'm noticing this. I'm just kind of watching this. And so we wait a little while. We wait a little while. And finally, we're finishing our food, and their food comes out. So their food comes out, but they, they're not eating. And I look around. They're looking around, looking for the waiter, and the waiter's nowhere to be found. He's not even paying attention to them. He's off to another family, another couple. And he's walking around. And, and he, you know, he had a lot of, to be fair, he was very busy. And they're looking around, and they can't find any help. And this goes on for like two or three minutes. It's getting uncomfortable. So I, I look over to him. I said, do y'all need some help? And, and she goes, we don't have any utensils to eat our food with. They didn't bring any utensils. So I, I get up. I walk over to the waiter because they're, they're not being proactive. So I'm going to go over there and say, hey, he, these people don't have utensils. Could you get them some utensils so they can eat their food? And, and they said, okay, okay. And so they finally get them utensils, they eat their food. Well, this, you know, we're getting ready to leave, and, I, and I'm, I'm just like, the Lord just says something to me right before we leave. He says, I want you to pay for their, for their meal. I want you to pay for their meal. I said, okay. And I, I didn't tell Colleen. I just, I just, okay. So I get up, and I walk over to the waiter who's over doing some stuff, and I said, hey, I want to pay for that couple's, that family's meal. And I said, you know, I don't know if you noticed or not. But uh, y'all brought our food out, but you took their order ahead of ours. And they didn't get their food for 20 minutes. Then they didn't get their utensils. I said, that can kind of send a bad message. And I said, so I want to pay for their meal to kind of offset that, that message that they're getting. And I want to I offset them in them. But I also want you to know that I appreciate what you're doing, but you need to pay attention to stuff like that. And he said, how do you want to do this? I said, well, just bring me their check. And I said, I just want to write something on their check. Not my name, I just want to write a note to him. So he brought, brought me a check. I wrote a little note. And I said, sometimes, here's my note. Sometimes Jesus just wants you to know you're special. That's all I said. I just wrote that on the note. <laughs> I have no idea what happened after that because we, we left. 
We left. Oh, we didn't get to see the reaction. We, I said, I don't want to be here when you give it to him. Just let us leave. I said, but I said to the waiter, and this is what I realized. This is not just a witness to them. It's a witness to the waiter. It's a witness to the waiter. So I said to the waiter, I said, you understand that um, it's really important in these times to be very intentional with people. And I said, so I just want you to understand the reason we're doing this because I want them to have a good experience here, not a bad experience. And, and he said, thank you so much. He said, I don't know what happened. The kitchen messed up and they didn't get their order right. He says, I, I, I'll go apologize to him. I said, well, you do whatever you feel like you need to do. But I said, the main thing I want you to understand is that Jesus is behind all this. So when we left, I thought to myself, <clears throat> what would life look like, listen to me, if all of us did that? Amen. What would life look like? What would life look like if this week, with your Be Like Jay bracelet on, that you decided to be like Jay? You decided, wherever I go, whatever I do, I'm just going to listen. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do here? Is there anything you want me to do special? Maybe, I, maybe you're at a gas station, and you see somebody that you can tell this is struggling, and they're pumping gas, but they're only putting like $5 in because they get one gallon just to get home. It's about $1. One gallon is about $5 now. If you just went over there and said, hey, can I just pay for your, I want to pay for your gas today. Or, or, or you're standing in a grocery store line and you see somebody counting out the food stamps. We've done this many times, counting out the food. Hey, I just want to pay for them. Can I just pay for them? If you're able to do, I know not all of you are not able to do that, but maybe here's what I'd say. If you start little, God will give you more. He'll give you more. <laughs> and if he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. So let's just take a moment. Let's just bow our heads, close our eyes, all of us online. Let's just ask the Lord to speak to us this week about that. My Father, my Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the beautiful kindness that you've bestowed upon us. The many hundreds and thousands of intentional acts you've done down through the centuries for humanity. And how many of us can honestly say that we've not experienced your kindness almost every single day? You've done so many good things for us in spite of our own failures and our own sins. And so Lord, my prayer is that we could somehow do the same for others. That we could value others more than we think about ourselves all the time love our neighbors at least as much as we love ourselves. So I'm praying for this church to have intentional acts of kindness this week. That by next weekend, we can all come to church. When we come to church, we can honestly say, we are doing things intentionally now to be kind. That many here will start to serve in the church that have not been serving for two years. Many will start to interact with people, even though they might be uh, different from them or an enemy of them. And many of us, well, God, will, will start to operate in this beautiful life of kindness towards people who will never know us and we'll never know them except that you would do something through us to show them kindness. I pray that over us, God. And if we're here today and we don't know Christ and we haven't really responded to Christ before, would you speak to us right now? Would you give us an opportunity to repent of our sins, get our life right with God? If you're here today or watching us online and you say, I need to get my life right with God today, I, 
honestly, I'm not living the kind of life you're talking about, and I want to. I need to stop doing what I've been doing, turn and really give my heart to Christ. If that's you with every head bowed and eye closed, would you just lift your hand in this building? Just lift it up high all, all across this building. Lots of hands. All right, you can put your hands down, and I'm going to pray a prayer. I want all of us to pray this together. Let's say it. Jesus, right now, I repent of my sins. I ask you, God, to forgive me of everything in my life that violates your will. I put it on the altar, and today I die to it. I love you, Jesus, and I believe that you are God in the flesh, and you died on a cross for my sins. And today, I ask you, come into my heart, drive out all the darkness as I become your son and daughter in Jesus' name. Now let's lift our hands to him and let's just worship him. Jesus, we worship you. All across this campus, all across online, we just worship you even in our homes. We worship you. We thank you for your extraordinary kindness in our lives. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. God bless you.